Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn into your Bibles to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, we're going to be picking up the last couple of verses there, verses 39, and then going on into chapter 19 through verse 15. So beginning with John chapter 18, verse 39 and following. But you have a custom that I release someone to you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you know that I have the authority to release you, and I have the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you, have, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, open our hearts to these truths. Help us to see, Lord, the deceit and, Lord, the desire, Lord, to be totally against your will that we see witnessed here. Lord, it's a matter of choices to either follow the truth that you have so plainly set before us or to follow our own will and desire. Lord, help us in each and every day of our lives to make the right choices. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Y'all know that life is full of choices, right? Uh, as children of God, it seems like we have an abundance of choices. Not only do we have to choose 
what is best for ourselves and our families, but we also have the added uh, responsibility of choosing what is right in God's eyes. Not everybody in the world chooses that way, but we have that responsibility. See, the world is basically self-centered morally. It's all about me. It's basically the motto of our world today. It's not what does God want me to do, but what's best for me, what's best for my family, what will gain me the most wealth and power and authority over others. So that's really what, how most people in our world today and for many past generations has made decisions. Choices are very difficult because we don't always know what the end result is going to be. We don't know what the consequences of our uh, decisions will always be. But instead of being a part of the world and say, it's all about me, we need to stop and say, what does God have to say? What is God's will for my life? You know, sometimes that's pretty easy because God's will tells us what is sin. He shows us many times what is right and what is wrong. But, you know, there's some things in life there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer according to the Word of God. Which job should I choose when I have two options? Which house should I buy? Which car should I buy? These are difficult situations that may not have a biblical answer to them, or a godly or spiritual answer. The simple thing we need to do is pray. Say, Lord, I always pray that your Holy Spirit will be the guiding force in any decision I make, whether it's a spiritual decision or just a a material decision that we must make sometimes. But what we look at is that as Christians, we need to make key decisions based on what God's will is for our lives. Now, the situation we have is, you know, we have what still is the flesh that we live in and the spirit that lives within us. I don't know about you, but they don't always agree. They seldom agree. When we make choices, we have to ask ourselves, what is right in God's eyes? In other words, am I willing to humble myself and to minister to the needs of others around me, or do I want to just keep everything to myself and focus on me and my family? Am I willing to minister in a way that may cost me, or do I want to keep everything for myself? See, these are kinds of things that our flesh really does struggle against the spirit. We know fleshly that we want to keep everything for ourselves because it is all about me according to the flesh. But when you seek God's will, many times he's going to want us to give up our own desires so that his will will be done. Now, if you look at the earlier apostles, you look at those who Jesus sent out after his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension back to heaven, you see they were very giving men. They, they sacrificed all. As a matter of fact, they gave their very lives. All as far as the extra uh, biblical information that we have on all the apostles, all but John died a martyr's death. They died for their faith. John we know died basically of old age. He had been on that Isle of Patmos where he wrote much of his writings, and then later he was released. But we see that men, women, who have surrendered their lives to the Lord don't always make decisions according to the flesh what's best for themselves. Their desire is to follow God 
wherever that leads. So we look and we see that there's always conflicts within. Now we're going to be looking at this passage and we're going to see choices that are either made by following the truth or following what I call power, authority. Truth or power? Which do you choose? Do you want to follow the truth or do you want to follow what puts you in the best position of authority and power? Well, we're actually going to see two different entities that struggle with this. They, they really made that, maybe they don't struggle with it enough. They show that their desire is to follow after their own power and authority rather than to follow what is the truth. The first group is the Jews, led by the Jewish uh, religious leaders who are experts on the law. If anybody's supposed to know the truth, they should. They know what is written in the prophecies. They know all the foretellings of the coming Messiah. If they were just willing to stop and examine Jesus according to the prophecies, there is no way that they could say that is not the Messiah that God's sending. But they had their own expectations of this Messiah that were not necessarily what the scriptures gave, and so they rejected him. They rejected him not only because they didn't see that he was matching the prophecies of the Messiah, but they also rejected him because if he truly was the Messiah, they were supposed to bow down and worship him. But here's the situation. These Jewish religious leaders had gained so much power and authority that they were expecting other people to bow down before them and to give them homage and honor and praise. They were now in that position where they were receiving really the honor that was due to God. They would go through the motions of praying and giving their tithes and doing all these things, but the way even they did that was to draw attention to themselves. So over the centuries, they had grown from being servants of the Lord to not even servants of the people, but for the people to be servants of them. And they didn't want to give that up. So they knew the truth if they were honest with themselves and knew what they had already studied through the scriptures, they would have easily seen that the truth was found in Jesus. But they rejected the truth that stood before them, mainly because they didn't want to give up their power and their authority. Well, there's another entity that struggles with this. His name is Pilate. Now, Pilate does so in a different way. Pilate is in a difficult situation. When Pilate was first named as the leader over, the, uh, over Judea, he had the right and the power and authority to oversee basically Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, the Jewish population. Uh, he had a friend in Rome that helped him get to that position. And over the years, his friend in Rome was no longer available. He, he, he fell out of favor with, with Caesar. And so Pilate was in a difficult situation. Here is Pilate's number one job, keep peace. Make sure that the people that you are over stay at peace with Rome. Now, the Jews did not like Roman authority over them. They wanted to break away. They wanted to lead another revolt. They wanted to try to gain their independence from Rome. They did not want to have Caesar dictating over them. 
And so any time, that, any chance that they had, they would try to raise up against Pilate and cause a ruckus so that he would cower because he did not want for there not to be peace in Judea. Because he knew that as soon as there was a riot, there was any kind of a disruption, that Caesar would hear about it. And he was afraid that he would lose his position of power. And so this is Pilate's problem, is that when the religious leaders came to him, he was always trying to find some kind of compromise to appease the religious leaders and to make sure that he kept peace between them and Rome. And he failed pretty much every time he tried to do that. So we look at this situation that Pilate is in. He is trying to keep his own power and authority, even though he knows the truth. In these passages of scripture, three different times Pilate says, I find no fault with this man. There is no guilt that I find in this man. So he knows the truth. He knows that Jesus is not a threat to Rome. He knows that Jesus is just hated by the Jews for whatever reason. And that's not a problem that he has to worry about because he's not Jewish. The only reason why he has to worry about it is because he's got to keep peace. And so we look and Pilate knows the truth. He knows it because he says three different times, I find no guilt in this man. Trying to protect Jesus, but that's the problem. In this passage of scripture, we see three different confrontations or conflicts between Pilate and the religious leaders. First is found in those last two verses of John chapter 18, verses 39 and 40. Let me just read those again. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at, at the Passover. For you wish, do you wish that I release for you the king of the Jews, Jesus? So they cried out, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Now, if you go back through the other Gospels, they tell a little bit more of this situation. They state that uh, there is going to be a choice between Barabbas and Jesus. And they give a little bit more information about Barabbas. He's not just a robber. He's also a murderer, a thief. He's also a rebel rouser. He is one that is constantly trying to find a way to join other forces together to lead a revolt against Rome. And so basically, in the eyes of the Jews, they kind of like the guy. They want somebody to stand up for them. They want somebody to lead a revolt against Rome. They might not like his way of doing it, that he's not uh, a very couth type guy with the types of things that he does. But when anybody stands up against Rome, they kind of like the guy. And so now we see that the Jewish religious leaders say, they cry out, not this man, not Jesus, but give us Barabbas. Now here's Pilate's thought. Pilate thought that there is no way that these Jews are going to ask for Barabbas to be released because that will anger Caesar against them because Caesar sees Barabbas as a threat to the peace against Rome. So will they truly release Barabbas and risk being on the wrong side of Caesar? Well, Pilate really did not understand the hatred that the Jewish religious leaders had against Jesus. He misunderstood, misread what they really believed. And so we look at this first conflict. Pilate thought that he had the situation figured out. Surely they wouldn't release this rebel rouser Barabbas. 
So you offer them the choice between Barabbas and Jesus, and they chose Barabbas. So he fails in his first conflict with the Jewish religious leaders. Now we get into the second one. Look at verses 1 through 7. Pilate looks at another possible solution to find a way to release Jesus, not have him crucified, and appease these Jews. He wants to play against their compassion and pity, if they have any. And so he takes Jesus and has him scourged. Now, I've shared about what that really entailed before, but basically a man would stand with a whip that had multiple thongs on it. Some of those thongs had like ball bearings wrapped into them, heavy lead weights. Other thongs had barbs of bone in them. And he was an expert at knowing exactly how to use it. Sometimes he would whip it across where the beads would hit and cause contusions and actually, over time, internal bleeding. And then sometimes he would just barely let it hit and start to rip it back where the bones would embed into the skin and actually tear the flesh away from the body. Now, folks, that's what scourging is. And it continued until either the commander over him told him to stop or the prisoner died. More than half the time, the prisoner actually died from the scourging. We know that Jesus was so physically weak from his scourging that he could not even carry his own cross very far. So Jesus is bloodied. They take a crown of thorns, cram it over his head. They find an old royal robe and they place it over him. They start slapping him on top of being scourged. And so Pilate says, yeah, he looks pretty, pretty bad. I don't even think they would recognize him otherwise. So he brings Jesus out before the people. And he thinks, look at him. Look at him. He can hardly stand. You can hardly even recognize him. I have punished him to an inch of his life. Isn't that enough? By the way, I don't find any guilt in the man. Wouldn't you like to be the one scourged and say, and the man who ordered the scourging say, oh, by the way, you didn't deserve that. I really don't find any guilt in you, but I'm trying to appease everybody. So Pilate was trying to play towards their pity and compassion. Hmm. Think it worked? No. He even tried to downplay who Jesus was. Look at verse 5. Then Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Not the king of the Jews, not a king, not your king, but behold the man. He's just a man that I just had scourged to an inch of his life. He's just a man. He's nothing else. He has suffered enough. But when, picking up verse 6, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate then said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Pilate was actually willing to allow the Jews to break the Roman rules of actually bringing death to one of their own. The death penalty was supposedly only supposed to be followed out by Rome, not by the Jews. 
He was actually giving them permission to crucify Jesus themselves. Well, they didn't want to do that. They wanted the blood to be on someone else's hands. Then they said, the Jews answered in verse 7, We have a law that by, the, by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Now, why is that so important? Look at the next verse. Then when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Why would Pilate be afraid for the Jews to say that he claims to be the Son of God? Well, you've got to understand a little bit about Roman authority. Caesar, Augustus, is the man who is in authority right now. Guess what he calls himself? The Son of God. Do you know why? Because he inherited his power and his authority from Julius Caesar, who claimed to be a god. So now here is Pilate hearing that Jesus is supposed to have claimed himself to be the son of God, which he is. But how in the world can he let him off the hook if he's claiming the exact same title as Caesar, son of God? How many of y'all would like to have been Caesar that day? He's not going to win. There's no way he's going to win. He's not going to keep peace. He's not going to get Jesus off the hook. He's trying his best to find a compromise. He's beaten Jesus to within an inch of his life, and that did absolutely no good. They're still saying, that's not enough. We want him to die on a cross. We want him to be crucified. We want him to hang on a tree so that when others see him, it will deter anybody from following after him. So, picking up verse 8. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now, Pilate is trying to find some way to find some evidence, one way or another, to either condemn Jesus to crucifixion or to find some true evidence that he could use to say, he's not guilty, I'm letting him go. So Pilate then said, do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I also have the authority to crucify you? In other words, Pilate is saying, do you know who I really am? Do you know the authority that I have? Again, the choice between truth or power. Pilate is trying to pump his chest up and show his power. Jesus, who is just beaten to death, still has power, more power than Pilate could ever imagine. And he takes control of the situation one more time. Pick up verse 11. Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. So Jesus is taking control. He says, Pilate, you really don't have any control over me. You don't have any power or authority over me. That power that you claim that you have did not come from Caesar. It came from God. That's the only reason why you are where you are today. Folks, it's hard for us to understand, but that's why we have our president in our place. It is God-ordained whether or not we like our president or not. The authorities that are over us are God ordained. We need to understand that. So Jesus is saying, Pilate, your authority is God ordained. 
You didn't earn it. It was given to you. And so Pilate, once again, makes an effort to release Jesus. But look at what Jesus has said. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. In other words, quit trying to find guilt in me to find some reason why you can have me crucified. Look at the guilt of those who have brought me before you. Now, who is the he mentioned in verse 11? He who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Well, technically, it would be Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the one that brought the charges against Jesus, and he would be the one that would be ultimately responsible. That's really not the he that he's talking about. Who he's talking about are the chief priests, the Sanhedrin, that group of 72 that technically found Jesus guilty of blasphemy and guilty of needing to be executed. It was also the Jews who shouted out, crucify him, crucify him. Those are all the ones guilty of sending Jesus to Pilate. But here's the situation. They're not the only ones. You and I are also the he that brought Jesus before Pilate. Do you know why? Because the only reason why Jesus is before Pilate is because of my sins and your sins. See, this was all God-ordained. It was all in God's ultimate plan from the beginning of time that Jesus would die for our sins. My sins, your sins, the sin of the world. And so we are a part of the he that delivered Jesus, and we have the greater sin. We are the ones that condemned Jesus to be crucified on the cross. Remember, he died for our sins. He took the penalty and the guilt of our sins upon himself, died on the cross in our place, my place, your place. Not just the chief priest, not just the Sanhedrin, not just those Jewish people that cried out, crucify him. They were guilty, yes, but we are just as guilty. We look and we see that that's not enough for the religious leaders. After this, Pilate again, pick up verse 12, and as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be king opposes Caesar. There again, he is, they are referring to Jesus, claimed to be king of the Jews. They say any man who claims to be king is an enemy of Caesar. So there again, they are putting that owns back on Pilate. If you don't give us our way, then Caesar's going to hear that you are placating to someone who's claiming to be king of the Jews, son of God, king in any sort of situation. So we look and we see that Pilate could not risk any further problems. So here's what he does. He finally gives in. He comes out to the place of judgment called the pavement, also known as Gabbatha. And he sits on this seat. It's called Bema seat, the, the, the seat of judgment. It is from this place that he would dictate his edicts. He would make his rulings from this place. So he is there formally making a decree as to what will take place. And Pilate is sitting there in a mocking tone, I think. He says, behold, your king. 
the old your key. Listen to what the Jewish leaders say. Pick up verse 15. So they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Listen to what the chief priests say. We have no king but Caesar. Do you know what? He just committed blasphemy. The exact charge that he brought against Jesus, blasphemy, he just committed. Do you know why? For the Jews, who is their king? God and no one else. For the chief priest, the overall high priest over all Judaism to say we have no king but Caesar, he just blasphemed against God. That is how much hatred they had towards Jesus. They had all the evidence before them from the prophets to show that Jesus truly was their Messiah, and yet they ignore the truth to gain their own power. Pilate had the truth. He knew that Jesus was not guilty of any charge worthy of death, and yet he wanted to keep his power, his place of authority, so he gave in so that the peace would remain and he would keep his position. So let's kind of wrap this up. What does this mean to us? Well, by examining what went on between Pilate and the Jewish religious leaders, we see that they faced a conflict between the truth and power. That's been pretty evident through the whole thing. But what about us? What about you and me? How do we struggle with this? Well, we may not always be trying to find a position of power and authority over others, but a lot of times we struggle with following the truth. What happens when the truth stands before us and it's something ugly? Do we choose to look the other way at an injustice so that we don't get involved? Think about it for a second. We're all guilty somewhere along the way of turning the other way, looking the other way. I don't, I don't see that. I don't want to get involved. Yes, I know that's wrong. I don't want to get involved. Well, how much are we concerned with keeping our jobs and our position in society where we're willing to fail to deal with what we know is right or against what we know is wrong? We just want to step back and pretend like that really doesn't matter, but in God's eyes, it matters a lot because he has made you see something that needs to be dealt with. Are we so worried about what other people think about us that we're not willing to get involved when God directs us to? See, we too face a lot of choices between the truth and power or authority. Are we willing to empty of ourselves surrender to the Lordship of Christ, follow his leadership through his Holy Spirit, and do what is right, even if it costs us, even if there are consequences involved. Those are hard questions to answer. And the only way that we can truthfully answer them is if we are in the right spirit. That's why I preach so much about surrendering, surrendering to the Lordship of Christ, surrendering to the presence of the Spirit of God living in us through His Holy Spirit. 
if we get up each and every day and we've got our own agenda of what we plan to do for ourselves and for our family and we leave God out of the picture, you won't make the right choices. Your choice will be dictated by yourself. Self-centeredness, it's all about me. But if we get up and we say, Lord, I can't live without you. I am nothing without you. I need you to be God in every facet of my life. I surrender today to your Lordship. I pray that right now, as I pray, that your Holy Spirit will take complete control of every aspect of my life. That you will control my thoughts, my desires, my words, my deeds, every choice that I make today. May your Spirit guide me in everything that I do. Every choice that I make. I pray that every moment of this day will be lived under your authority, not my own. Which one do you think is going to give you the best option of making the right choice? Getting up and saying, I've got my day planned, and God's really not in the middle of it. Or putting God in the center of it and following him. You know what? You have to make that choice every day. And every moment throughout the day, I've been guilty of praying that prayer in the morning and forgetting it by lunchtime. You have too, haven't you? Folks, living a surrendered life is consistently constant. I mean, you can't stop. You can't just say the prayer in the morning and say, well, that's good enough till midnight. It's got to be constant. It's got to be a lifestyle. God's got to be the center of every aspect of your life. If God's not on his throne when you walk into the office or, or get up, I mean, I know we got quite a few retirees and you get up and fix your breakfast. If God's not on his throne at your breakfast table on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and the rest of the week, he's not on his throne today as we worship him. He's got to always be the center of our lives. Only then will we make the right choices. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, as we hear your word proclaimed to us today, but we all stand guilty. We all stand guilty that we caused you to stand before Pilate that day. It was the guilt of our sins that caused you to be there. But Lord, we also are guilty because far too often we make choices dictated by our own desires instead of your will for our lives. Help us, Lord, to surrender anew each and every day, allowing you to be Lord of our lives, giving the Holy Spirit free control over everything about us, guiding us in everything we say and do, think and desire, guiding every choice that we make so that it will be right in your eyes. Lord, even if there are consequences, even if it puts us in a position of being persecuted, suffering, ridiculed, losing a job, Lord, if it is your will, may we do so through faith, trusting that your will will be accomplished and that whatever the consequences are, you will help us to deal with them. Lord, that's not the way our world works. Our world tells us to take care of yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. It's all about us. Lord, help us to get rid of that mindset. 
and to focus on the ministries, the compassion that we're to have for others. May we be found faithful in sharing your love with others and living in obedience to your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.